Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing good? Put your hands together like this if you're doing good. And even if you're not doing good, put your hands together like this. How's that? Maybe, maybe a little clap and a little excitement gets you doing good, right? So... Well, we're in this new series, and I don't want to waste a lot of time because I have a lot to cover today, but this new series is called um, Assembly Required, and what we're looking at is the components of the church. And today I want to talk about what it means to be a great church, and before you kind of run off on a tangent thinking I'm going to talk about something, you know, b- you know big money, lots of people and all that, um, there was actually a moment, um, I was reading a story about a, uh, a young boy. Um, how many people have little kids? And they were on, any of them ever get on a trampoline before? Trampoline before? And they get, they, they're jumping up and down on the trampoline and they're getting higher and higher. And they almost think to the point where they're invincible. Uh, so this little kid's jumping on, jumping and jumping up. And, and, and he says, he turns to his mom, he says, hey, mom, make sure I don't bump my head on an airplane. <laughs> and there's this moment like I'm going, wow, he thinks he's great greatness like like is and he's gonna like he actually has a chance to do that and it led me down a road just to follow me for a couple minutes it led me down a road to that word greatness and because what does it really mean to be great in the world we live in anymore and and, and we have such a kind of a misdefinition or maybe misunderstanding of what greatness really looks like if you're a sports team it's 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 easy, right? Like if like if you're a football, any football, is there any football fans in this church at all? We're not going to talk about Georgia beating Auburn or anything like that. Like we're not going to talk about that in church today. That'll be next week. Um, but you know, we even have uh, there's terms for like it's called the goat, the G O A T. It's the greatest of all times, and we can argue till we're blue in the face. You know, probably the greatest college football coach in the course of history is probably Nick Saban. He's probably the goat, right? Like I think there's others like. That's not right. Do you, do you not realize I could throw you out of church? And I'm just kidding. You. We, we love perfect church for imperfect people. Um, so no, go. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're an NFL fan, it's probably, I mean, it's probably Tom Brady. Like, I mean, let's just face it, as much as you may not like him, but it, it's probably Tom Brady. Um, I asked a couple of our staff members, baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm a Atlanta Braves fan. I'm excited about Tuesday night where we get to play the Phillies. And, you know, is it like you win five National League East and you're the, you're the best ever? Or do you win like a couple World Series and you're the best ever? And like we were even trying to talk like who's the probably the best baseball player? You know, is it, is it Babe Ruth? Is it, you know, is it Hank Aaron? Is it, is it Barry Bonds? I mean, you got to, who, who knows? It, you know, if it's, in, if it's in like golf, like come on now. It's, it's Tiger Woods, right? Like I don't care what I get in, in, in soccer. Who cares? Like, just like, who really, who really cares? No, for y- you soccer fans, I played soccer. I love it, but who cares? You know, how about business? If you're in business, like if you're a business person, like how many people like, you know, you're, some of your bosses, some of your, like, what does it mean to be successful in business? Like you retain your employees long, you know, is it about the, the you know, P&L sheet, making sure that you have more money coming in and profits and then losses. What, what, you know, Fortune 500 company. What does it look like for you? Because it looks like, it looks different for every, probably every business, depending on what your, what your product is. How about moms and dads? Do you ever think about being a parent? Like, what's it mean to be a successful parent? Just keep your kids out of jail? I mean, is that, is that good enough? Like, some of us are shaking their heads. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, and then there's other ones like, oh, not, not so much. Like, that's already happened. So we have to have new expectation. 
But like, so, so what is it? And, and then where it went for me, you know, I pastor a church. I've been in ministry 30, 30 plus years. Like, what about successful churches? What does a great church look like? Is it, is it because it's got a big building? Like, you know, it has, you know, lots of parking area and maybe they have like a sports complex and, you know, maybe, you know, lots of children running around or is it, you know, maybe a big budget, maybe, you know, a $10 million budget and, you know, they have all this stuff or, you know, one of the things in the Southeast that I've noticed, the only way you can be declared a great church is if you have a great softball team. And so like, I didn't know that that was a thing until I moved down here. And like, if that's, that's the, that's how you judge it. No, it's not. But what is it? What is a great church? Because there's two things that I know. Those things in and of themselves, big buildings, lots of money, lots of people even, to be honest with you, great staff, dynamic worship, cool lights, all that stuff, that does not constitute a great church. I know lots of churches that have all those things and they're barely, they're barely making it. And on the other end of the, I know churches that don't have any of those things that I would look at and go, that's a great church. I've been to the Dominican Republic and Haiti and I've been, you know, those third world environments and I go, like, they don't have any of that stuff. They barely have a budget and they're great churches. They're doing it. So what is the elements? What are the things that are involved in a great church? And that's what this series is about. This series is looking back at Acts chapter two, the original church a couple thousand years ago and going, what did they have that maybe that we need to make sure that we have in our church? And, and, and here's the bottom line. I want journey. Hear me on this. I want Journey to be a great church. I want this to be a place where people hear the dangerous message of Jesus. I want this place to be a place where restoration happens, where marriages are brought back together. I want this to be a place where people come to find their thumbprint and get you know their, their, their God-given talent, understand Ephesians 2, that they were created in God's image and they were created to do great works. I want this place to be that place. So we should be, as a church, looking back a couple thousand years and go, what was in that church? And I'm going to tell you the very first thing that I see in that church that so many churches don't have, and I'm hoping that we have it, is great churches do the essentials. They do the things that really matter, the things that matter most, not build buildings, not have great recreational department, all that. They do the things that the original church did. And if, if we want, if we can, let's go back to Acts chapter 2 today just for a few moments and go, okay, so what did they do? In Acts chapter 2, what we see is verse 42. It says, all the believers... And I love that. It doesn't say all the Pentecostals, all the Charismatics, all the Baptists, all the Methodists. All the, it says all the believers, regardless of what the kind of slant you had or maybe your own personal style or, you know, contemporary or, 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 or you know, like traditional. It says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing in the meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. I'll stop right there. There's four things. That's what we're going to talk about. But let's see what happens when there's this, this value of the essentials that happens to the church. We see it in verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And remember last week, if you were here, we talked about there's the all like all, like I don't want to be there. And there's the all like all, that was really good. It's the all that's really good part. A deep, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles, so the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions. They shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals in great joy and generosity. I love that. There was great joy and generosity in sharing everything they had. In, in everything, they, 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 they had this like common poor where they brought everything together and, and, and nobody had any, had any needs. Verse 47, all, while, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That was the church at its best. 
They were doing four things, and all, because of that, and we're going to read in a minute, many were added daily. 3,000 in one shot were added to this church. But what, what were they doing? Let, let's kind of just talk just briefly, because this is really important stuff. What were they doing? Well, the first thing they were doing is the apostle teaching. Now, some of you are going, what's the apostle teaching? And I, and I had to do a little bit of research on my own because I was thinking, you know, they just read through the book of Matthew. Well, guess what? The back, book of Matthew wasn't there yet. Or they just looked through the book of John and they just know the, the book of John, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So what they were doing is they were literally these apostles, these, 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 these religious leaders that were hanging out and sitting literally at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus himself. A couple of series ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer, right? And one of the things I said in week one, I said, of all the things that the apostles could have asked Jesus to teach them, could have teach them how, how to cast demons out, could have, you know, how to, how to perform miracles. He said, I want you to teach us, whoever, whatever, I want you to teach us how to pray. I want you to teach us. So these are the things that these, these, these apostles or these disciples picked up being at the, foot, the feet of Jesus. So they started teaching. And I think they, they're broken down in real simple things. They taught about Jesus. And then that's simple, isn't it? They, they, talk, they talk, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to spend a, a large portion of our time today talking about that one element, but they talked about Jesus. They, they, they talked about, they talked about sin and they talked about salvation and they talked about heaven. And you know what else they talked about? And we don't talk a lot about in the church and we probably need to. They talked about the promises of God, that the promises that were given thousands of years ago are thousands, uh, you know, are, are promises that we can as a church today stand on if we just decide to stand on those things. So they taught those four things. What else they do? They taught on fellowship. And, 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 and a lot of times, like, people are like, wow, fellowship. It was just getting together, just hanging out together. The, the, the Bible says that they, 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 they hung out in people's homes, and they talked about football. I don't think they had football back then. They talked about chariot races. I don't know. What do you talk about back then? But I, I did it this morning. Like, you guys may think I'm kind of crazy. I, lo I love this place. And I, I love this but I love that over there. I love talking to my friends. And when we got here this morning, we started talking about Georgia football. We talked about how, how Auburn looked yesterday. We talked about Alabama football. Like, man, that's fellowship. That's just hanging out. Let me put it in words that we use around here. It's doing life together. It's just doing life together. We can talk about fishing. We can talk about hunting. We can talk about how good, you know, the, the band sound this morning. We can talk about a concert that we went to. All that stuff, that's doing life together. And honestly, that's the easy stuff. You know what else is doing life together? When tragedy strikes, when somebody passes away that's in our fellowship, that's in our, and we watch and we hold and we, we, we put our arms underneath their arms and we hold their arms up and they can't hold their, that's what doing life together is. And then it says they broke bread together. They did communion. As a matter of fact, when you walked in here today, you were given the communion elements at the end of service. We're going to have a response time where you're going to respond in your own time to the Lord's Supper. But what it is, is this. It's simple. It's reminding ourselves what Jesus Christ did for us. If you're a believer in Christ, we should be doing this all the time. We, not just in church. We should be doing it daily. We should be sitting in our car going, God, thank you for... I said this to somebody this morning, and it's something I'm learning. I'm just learning. Somebody asked me how I'm doing, and this is what I said to him. And I've been saying this. I'm doing better than I deserve. Somebody say amen to that. I'm doing better than I deserve. You know why I can say that? Because I'm reminded daily of what Jesus Christ has done for me. While I was still a sinner... While I was still far away from him, he died on the cross for me. And that's something to be thankful. Somebody should be thankful for that, right? Be thankful for that. And the last thing is prayer in this one section, prayer. And listen, I, I don't want to be a church that just gets together on the 930 in September and we pray together, like, that, which is cool. Like I'm hoping everybody joined in and we fasted and prayed and we had people over here and there's all the, all the prayers over there. But you know what? I want to be a church that prays in October too. 
I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a church of praise in November, December. And I'm going to be a, in January. I want to start the year. I want this place to be called a house of prayer. That's what Jesus called it. He said like uh, that my house will be a call like it should be a it should be a place where we're praying together. And so when we when we talk about the essentials, that's it. There's not a lot of other stuff. It's not about the softball program. It's not about the, the cool instruments on stage. It's about those four elements, which led me down the road of this, and I think this is really important. And I'm telling you, you're going to go, Bobby, that's kind of like basic, every church. But what I'm finding out is this is not a priority. Great churches talk about Jesus constantly. Like all the time, they make every point to go in that direction to talk about Jesus. Um, there's a young man that comes to our church, and every week um, he walks up to me. He wasn't here today. I'm kind of disappointed because I was waiting for it. But every week he asks me the same question. He said, Pastor Bobby, what series are we in? And then he will go, what, what are you preaching about today? What are you preaching about today? And I turn around. His name is Jonathan. I turn around, Jonathan, every week. We're in the same series we were in last week. Or, hey, next week we're starting a brand new series. So it was so exciting last week when I saw him. I said, we're starting a brand new series called, you know, Assembly Required. And he was like, what's the series about? And I would go, but a couple months ago he walks up to me and he said, Pastor Bobby, what are you preaching on today? And I told him what we were preaching on. I think we were in the, the Lord's Prayer. And I, but I turned around and I said something to him. And it was, at first I was like, please, I, I was hoping to, I was like, what are you preaching today? What, what are you preaching today? Because you want to know something? You get to hang out with more people than I ever get to hang out with. As a matter of fact, almost every person I work with is saved already. Okay, that was supposed to be funny. I work in a church. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Not where I work. In the church I work. But you know, you don't. And I can hear some of you, Pastor Bobby, that's your job. That's what you get paid for. You get paid to preach. No, it's your job too. As a matter of fact, there's the great commission and the great commandment that we read about in the scripture. And Matthew chapter 28 is the great commission. And this is simply what it says. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say if you had all your stuff together. He didn't say if you had a degree. He didn't say if you were credentialed or you're ordained. He said, go. Just as you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're called to go. Francis of Assisi says it like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. If necessary, use words. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Here's the really thing. I want you to do a little checkup from the neck up, okay? I want you to think about what you talk most about in your life. Like, what is the number one thing that people know you for? Now, I'm gonna make some people mad. I didn't wake up this morning wanting to be a jerk, but this is the only example I can have. You wanna know how to know what's important to you? Go to your social media feed. It will tell you very quick what's most important. If it's nothing but selfies of you, you're the most important thing. Somebody say it again. Preach it. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> if, if, if sports are the most important thing, every one of your feeds is going to have something to do with sports. It's going to be a score. It's going to be who won last night. It's going to be who, you know, how good Georgia looked. It's going to be, you know, what, what sets in bed. It's, you know, what, whatever. If the latest weight loss program, that's what's going to be on your feed all the time. If it's your family, that's what's going to... Hey, listen, and I'm not saying it's bad... I'm just saying, you want to know what's important to you? Check your social media feed out. You know what should be a little bit on our social media feed? About the Savior of the world that came to die for our sins, that loves us unconditionally, that while we were way away from him, that he still loved us back into fellowship with him. 
that Jesus was sent to die on a cross for us. That should be in our social media feed somewhere, shouldn't it? I mean, as a church, you would say, oh, yeah, it should be. And it's funny because I love some of the stuff we do. And as a matter of fact, this morning, I have a new poll out. And this, so we do social media polls. Here's the new poll for the week. Bacon, crispy or flimsy? See, Jesus liked it crispy too. The, the, the message of the church, the message of the church is much more than what the preacher says on Sunday morning. Did you hear me on that? I may be, and this isn't, I may be the least important person in this faith community because I only do it one time a week. But you get to do it every day of your life. Every person in this room gets a chance to proclaim through their community and their friends and their family and their co-workers about how big Jesus has been to them. Are you making Jesus big? Let me know. So I don't even know what to say. Well, let me tell you what the message is. The message is easy. It's the message of Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches this message right before this, and he says, So let everyone, I love this, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. That's it. You know what he did? He bridged the gap, the Old Testament and the New Testament. He said that God made him to be Lord and Messiah, the Messiah of the world. And he said, listen, everything was leading up to that moment. Anybody watch, like, those shows, like, like award shows. Anybody like the Grammys or I don't even know. I don't watch any of them. The, the, the Emmys are like, and I, 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 it drives me nuts when somebody gets up there and like, I'm not going to name names, but like, like Kanye. <laughs> did, did I say his name? Oh, I, I, what I meant was, what I meant was it rhymed with Kanye. But they get up there and maybe it's not him, but they get up there and they, they give all the props to God and they call him the big guy upstairs. I'm, I'm going to let you know something. That's offensive to me. He's not just a big guy upstairs. And see, that's what Peter was saying here. Peter's like, he bridged the gap. He was everything. He was not just a good teacher. As a matter of fact, this past week, I watched on some of your social media feeds, which was so great, that I'm being serious this time. Um, teacher of the year. Teacher of the year. Like so many of, like, some of our teachers in here were, were nominated teacher of the year, and that's great. But you know what? I realized I was watching that. Like, he was a great teacher. Really? Like, they didn't get teacher of the year and then crucify him, right? We didn't, we didn't go crucify our teacher. We don't do that. So there must have been more to it. Why, why, why was the religious leader so dogmatic about it? Because he was, in fact, who he said he was. He was the God of the universe. That's why they were offended when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except for through me. That's why they were offended when he said, I am the door, and you can't go through. He said, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. He was declaring that he was equal with God. That's the frustration, and that's what Peter's saying. And in our lives, that needs to be the most important message, that he's not just a good guy, he's not the big guy upstairs, we don't give him a peace sign or throw up our numbers to him, that he is really, in fact, who he said he was, the one that was crucified for our sins. Somebody please say amen to that. See, Peter sum summarized it. I almost didn't share this story in first service, and, and I'll share it here, but one of the things that I've realized that in the churches sometimes, in churches... We're so concerned about the personalities and who's there and the name of the church and all that that we've almost forgotten the name of Jesus. A couple years ago, I was at a church service. It was great. It was a contemporary church. It was a big church. The preacher speak. He's one of the best communicators I've ever heard in my life. 55 minutes, and I felt like I had been listening to him maybe 20 minutes. I looked at my watch. I man, this guy is so good. But I made an observation. You know what the observation was? In 55 minutes, he didn't mention the name of Jesus one time. He mentioned the name of the church. He mentioned God with a capital Y, you, or he with a capital H, but never said Jesus. 
Now, I want you to know that I believe it was a rare thing that happens at this church. This is a great church. But the fact that it happened was a big mishap. What would happen if we walked through a whole service in this place and didn't mention the name of Jesus? You know what, you know what I love this morning? From first song, literally from the welcome to the time I got up here, Jesus' name was mentioned, not just in song. It was mentioned in concept. It was mentioned in scripture. It was mentioned. That's a sign of a great church. That we're talking about Jesus more than we're talking about anything else. Francis Chan says this, proclaiming the gospel to a lost world cannot be just another activity to add to the church's crowded agenda. It must be central to who we are in forms. It forms our identity. It is who we are. We're a church. I want to be a great church, and I think this is something we have to do. Because the Bible says that something happens. Listen to this. This has happened to a lot of you in this room. When the name of Jesus is mentioned, it changes your life. It happened. This is what it said in Acts chapter 237. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Isn't that powerful? Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him, the other, other apostles, brother, what shall we do? There was a response because Jesus was there. Here's what I've learned. I've learned this right here. We can sit up here on a Sunday morning and we can tell the world all it's doing wrong, right? We can tell them why not to go to Disney World, right? No? We, we can tell them what, what shows not to watch on TV. That all the, all the, we can tell them what music not listen. And you know what they fall on? Deaf ears. The world already thinks all we talk about is the bad stuff. And what Peter's saying is when we lift up the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus pierces through the heart. It pierces through all the stuff. See, that's what the world's waiting to hear. The world is waiting to hear about this, this Jesus that loves them and cares about them. John 12, 32. This is what Jesus said about himself. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. This church, if it's going to be great, it has to be talking about Jesus nonstop. Somebody say amen to that. We'll go to the next one. Here's the second thing. Great churches, and you're going to go, Bobby, this is another one. No, clearly define salvation. Clearly define what it means to, to be saved. Clearly define this, this, this huge chasm between man and God. I find it interesting. I, I had lunch with a guy this past week, and um, he's not a believer, um, though he recognizes that there's something in my life that's different. So, you know, we're sitting there. He goes, Bobby, I, I, I got a couple, couple questions. And I asked him a question. I said, so what do you think of the church? What do you, when you think of the church, hey, you answer this question. When you think of the church, by and large, what do you think of? And you know, this is exactly what he said to me. And I was, I was scratching my head at me. He goes, it's, it's, it's about don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this. And I said to him, and it's an old cliche, and I hate it that I used a cliche today, but it was like, I said, you know something, what I found out? When I'm doing the do's, I don't want to do the don'ts. When I'm, when I'm following after Christ, I don't want to do the stuff that, 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 that's way back here in my life. I, I, I asked him, I said, when you hear a typical sermon, what do you expect to hear? He said, he said, I expect to hear that I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell and I'm going to burn up. I'm going, oh my goodness, we have done a horrible job. If that's what he thinks of the church, man, we have misrepresented Jesus Christ. And when Christians, he said, you know, when Christians, they can be best. He said, all I ever hear from Christians is what they're against. Maybe it's about time we start telling the world what we're for. Amen. Maybe it's that we're for them, that we're for life change. Now think about this. If that's the only message they're hearing, what are they going to think? They're going to think that that's what Christianity is. And here's the deal. That's not our message here at Journey. That's not our message here at Journey. 
Now, I want to be painstakingly clear, right, okay? Everybody in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, the Bible says we are all sinners. Some of you are going, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You ever lied before? Sinner. You ever stole anything? Sinner. You ever said a dirty word? Got everybody on that one, didn't I? Sinner. We're sinner by birth. We're sinner by choice, aren't we? All of us. The Bible says all of us have fallen short. Now, here's what I want us to get because our message is more than just that. Because sin is bad. Sin breaks the heart of the Father. Can I tell you a little personal thing? Sin destroys us from the inside out. Eventually, you may be able to hide it from everybody else, but it'll destroy you from the inside out, and people will start noticing after a while. The good news is that Jesus has the power to change those things. That's the good news. And because of Jesus, when God looks at me, when God looks at you, if you're a believer in Christ, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees a masterpiece. He sees no sin. He sees a clean slate. See, if you ever heard anybody say what the God, that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. While he was sinless, we were sinful. He went to a cross, went to a grave. Three days he rose from the dead, purchasing our life for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the message of John 3.16. John 3.16, and I'm not talking about John 3.16, the guy with the big hair and that holds the sign, okay? Because like, I don't even know if like, we pay attention to him anymore. But this is what it says. For this is how God loved the world. Not God hated the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave us his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 is the forgotten verse. And it's really the setup to the verse 16. You got to get 17, okay? 17 is the most important one. God sent his son to the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Somebody asked me, Pastor Bobby, why would God send me to hell? And I, this was a filtered moment. I said, God did not send you to hell. You're sending yourself to hell. Our corruption, our sin is sending us there. God provided a way of escape for those who will admit that they need a savior. I love the way Romans says it. Romans chapter three, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's the gospel right there. That's what Jesus, Jesus went to the cross for us. And when he preached, when Peter preached on repentance, people's lives were changed. And and that's a word that even in church, some of us look like, he's going to talk about it, isn't he? I'm going to talk about it. Repentance is a, a part of it, isn't it? I, I think we have a misconception. Jesus, this is what Peter said. He says, God, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me, let's understand, first of all, what repentance is. Repentance is not, it does not mean stop having fun. Okay, somebody should have said Amen. Repentance doesn't mean we, we, we can't have a good time anymore or we can't listen to Bon Jovi anymore or we can't. And some people go, oh, I'm a Christian now and I've got to wear a white robe. And I got, no, thank you, Jesus, I don't have to wear one. 
You know what repentance means? I recognize that sin is messing my life up and I don't want it to mess my life up anymore. Because sin will destroy you. I don't care what, it, you, you can put whatever you want to put. You can put, you know, like, you know, an addiction in there. You can put a bad relationship in there. You can put spending problems. You can put whatever you want to put in there. That thing, I mean, you can get as small as gossip will destroy you. I've watched it break apart families. The littlest of, of sins. It means stop destroying. Repentance literally means stop destroying your life. See, I want you to know, hear me on this. We take sin very seriously at Journey. Based on scripture, because I am tired of seeing people destroy their lives. I don't want to see another person destroy their lives with an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction or a bad relationship. I don't want to see it happen. I want to see us thrive in John 10.10 10, that he came to give us life and came to give us life. To, I want to see that happen. So we don't take sin lightly. Our message, though, has got to be turn away and turn toward. It's turn away from sin and turn toward God. See, that's what repentance is. Can I make it simple? It's turning away from the stuff that has you bound and turning toward the one that can set you free. That's it. That's repentance. And Peter preached about it. And he said there was a promise. When we obey God and do that, there's a blessing that comes. This is what he says. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is a promise that God wants us to keep. There's an obedience that he wants to do us to do. And there's a gift that he gives us when we do that. You know what the very first thing, active obedience, this is such a cool moment this morning. Um, the first, he talks about baptism. And I'm amazed at how many people have never crossed that spiritual line. I had a young lady walk on. She's younger than me. She's 27, 28, maybe 30 years old. She said, Pastor Bobby, I was baptized as a, in another denomination as a kid. And she said, but I didn't know. That scripture says repent and be baptized. That means I have to know who he is before I can be baptized. I'm like, you're... Mm. You only know, you know make it simple. If you didn't know Jesus before you got baptized, know Jesus today. And I would tell you the next act of obedience is get baptized in a couple weeks. I, I, listen, there's no shame in your game. A lot of us were sprinkled as a kid. I was sprinkled as a kid. But at 17 or 18 years old, when I had the knowledge of who Jesus was and he died for my, my sins, I, I got baptized at 17 years old. I, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Here, let me give you the last thing. We're, we're about running out of time. But great churches, so we talked about great churches live in the promises of God. They live in those promises. I love what it says in verse 39. This promise is to you, to your children, and those are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Did you catch that? These promises, you remember the centurion that came to Jesus and said, my, my, my child's sick? And he goes, listen, you go back in your, your son's house, and this promise is for your whole entire family. We need to start claiming numbers talks about that, doesn't it? from your sons and your daughters and generations to come, we need to start claiming those things over our kids and over our families. And we need to break, we need to break the chain and the curse of the previous generations that were in front of us and go, you know something, I'm not going to stand for that anymore. Yes, I'm five generations of alcoholic, but that's the last generation because it's not happening anymore. That's a promise that God gives us. See, the gospel is a message of hope. The gospel is a message of, of reconciliation that I was this way and now I'm this way. Second Corinthians, the old is gone and the new has come. That's a promise that God gives us. The salvation that he's talking about, the promise he's talking about is I don't have to be what I used to be. And I love that next line. And maybe it's figurative, maybe it's not supposed to be, but it says this, and those far away. Can I be honest today? I watched it happen in first service. 
I believe there's people in this environment. Uh, there's probably people in our, 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 over in our HM. There's probably people down in Sherwood. There's probably people, people online that you feel like you're too far away from God for God to love you. That there's too many things that have happened, too many, too many chasms, too many sins. I'm going to tell you something. The story that I shared a couple weeks ago with a prodigal son is just not a story. It's a reality. That regardless of how far that son got, it's a story about a loving father bringing his child back into him. I don't, I don't know what you came here with today. I don't know what that chasm looks like. I don't know what that sin looks like, but I know this. There's no sin. There's no sin that Jesus' blood can't correct. And I'll say this, and I'll say this with great boldness. There's no, you can never look in a set of eyes of anybody, anybody who Jesus didn't love and die for. Tim Keller says it like this, the gospel is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I don't know how far you think you are, but you're not far enough for the arm of God. I got a challenge for us today. I'm going to make you a promise and I want you to make me a promise. Here's my promise. Every Sunday, I'm going to bring my A-game to this place. And every Sunday, I'm going to tell this church, your friends, about Jesus Christ. Somehow or another, we're going to tell them about Jesus and the loving God that regardless of how far, I'm not going to allow a leadership lid to stop our church from growing. That means I'm going to continue to grow and I'm going to continue to learn. And I'm going to read and study and I'm going to spend time with the Holy Spirit allowing Him to teach me. I'm, going to, I'm not going to allow that leadership lid to stop us from growing. That's my promise. But I need you to promise something too. That you're going to, in the world that you live in, tell people about Jesus too. Now you can bring him here. Maybe you don't feel comfortable about telling the whole thing. You can bring him here, but you start that conversation. Here's a question, because I love this. Because there's a blessing that comes when we do this. It's that Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners Save yourself from the crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to their church that day, about 3,000. They weren't a great church because of 3,000. They were a great church because they were preaching Jesus and the 3,000 was a byproduct of them being a great church. So, you're scheduled to preach tomorrow morning. You're up. You're in the batter's box. It's your turn. Come on, shine. You're going to be with your coworkers. You're going to be with family. You're going to be with friends. You're going to see people at Publix. You're going to be at the gas station. You're up. It's your time to preach. What are you preaching about tomorrow? Are you preaching about Jesus? Are you preaching about everything else that's going on in the world? When we lift his name up, he draws on men. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up with me. When you walked into the place, several of you, or hopefully most of you, got the communion elements. And for today... We're going to allow you to respond on your own time. We're going to be led in a chorus a couple times. We want you just to, for a second, just to bow your heads. And maybe for some of us, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard about Jesus and you want to ask some questions about that. Had a young man come up to me right after service, um, in first service, and said, Pastor Bobby, I've never heard about this Jesus. I'm infatuated by this Jesus. I want to know more about Jesus. I'm like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Let me introduce to you my very best friend. And so in this moment right here, just like we're going to get, I led him to Jesus. It wasn't, a, 
It wasn't a canned prayer. It wasn't some kind of special prayer. It wasn't like a hocus pocus. It was he asked Jesus to come into his heart because he realized there was a gap that he needed to fill. For others this morning, people came up and made a decision to follow after Christ again because they walked away from Christ. That's a lot of us, isn't it? We just kind of walk away, kind of wander away. It's easy to do that. But for others, today may be the day you want to talk to somebody about baptism. Go to the next steps area. But for all of us, we have to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to us individually. So if you would, just do me a favor. Bow your heads for a second. I'm going to pray. Justin's going to lead us in this chorus. And at any moment during this next part, just responding, I just encourage you, um, open up, uh, take the wafer out, be reminded that what Jesus did for us, he died on the cross for us, his body was beaten. Take the juice, be reminded of the blood that washes away all of our sins. Heavenly Father, in this moment, and, and I, I believe this with everything that's in me, in a room this size with this many people, there's hundreds of different messages being spoken. And your Holy Spirit somehow or another figures it all out what every person needs to hear. So whatever it was that I needed to hear today, God, allow me to respond to it. Maybe it's responding with giving. Maybe it's responding with giving of my life. Maybe it's a surrender of my life. Maybe it's just a recognition of who you are and what you've done in my life. Maybe it's a humbling. Maybe it's an anger and resentment I need to get rid of. Whatever it is, God, would you speak to me and through me? It's your goodness that draws us. It's your goodness that brings us close. It's your goodness that frees us. God, so would you be here for us? In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.